Today, we welcome Tiffany Johnson. Now, Tiffany is an amazing human being. She is one of the few survivors of the 1999 Swiss canyoning disaster where a flood took the lives of 21 people. So Tiffany has been through this disaster. She's survived and she's seen friends, close friends, leave this world. So I welcome Tiffany as she joins us today. Welcome, Tiffany. Thank you, Kylie, for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's so lovely to have you. So I've read your book. So Tiffany is an author of Brave Enough Now. It took her a while to get there to write this book as she was processing what happened. But I want to start with, first of all, Tiffany, just saying and acknowledging those friends of yours that you lost in that time. So acknowledging their legacies with their families, their legacy with you, and then acknowledging the survivors and how you yourself and your friends have come through this. So it's amazing. It's a journey and my heart opens to you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. That's beautiful words, Kylie. In fact, I've dedicated Brave Enough Now to my friends that died that day. Awesome. So if you're looking for a really good book to read, True Story, Brave Enough Now. So Tiffany, big life-changing experience for you. So leading up to the Kentucky experience, you were finding yourself, traveling and finding yourself. And something you talk about a lot in the book is your intuition. Now, can you talk to me about feelings that led up to the disaster? Oh, there were so many. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A lot of people talk about intuition. They think that it's a bit woohoo or out there or, you know, some spiritual guru is sitting there meditating for 20 hours a day. That's not what my intuition is. And I, we all have the ability to have our intuition talk to us and tell us things. And what I believe our intuition to be or how I refer to it is exactly what you're saying. It's a feeling. So I had many, many feelings of something bad is going to happen and it's almost like a feeling of foreboding it's like this feeling of it's like gut instinct that mothers talk about you know mother's instinct they just know and we all have that ability to tune into that sensation within our body or that it's not the voice in your head that that talks to you sometimes in a negative way. That's not at all what I'm talking about because we also have that positive voice in our head as well. But I'm talking about something makes you feel joyous and wonderful and excited. Then that's that's your intuition telling you that this is the right path for you. And your intuition also tells you when it's the wrong path for you. And I had that uh, getting on the plane to go overseas in the first place. I felt so incredibly unwell. I just felt like my tummy was doing these incredible butterflies and going out of control crazy. And I and I talk about this in the book, how I bought a packet of Tim Tams thinking if I eat some yeah. chocolate, <laughs> that'll make it go away. Can I tell you now, my friends, it does not work. <laughs> and, and I felt it as well on the day of the disaster. And the thing was that through all of the things that happened in that short period of time in my life, there was a constant underlying feeling. Every time I made a choice to do something, I just pushed it away and I didn't really trust in my own self. I didn't actually believe in myself that I would know what was right. I kind of just 
I listened to other people. I went with the flow. I was trying to work it out. I was so filled with negative emotions in my life from my experience that I'd had in a toxic relationship that I really found it hard to trust anyone and that included myself. You talk about that a lot, about finding where you are in the world. You talk about being alone and finding a purpose. What is your purpose? And you also talk about in the book, finding your tribe just before the accident. You talk about you found your tribe, the girls. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. Andrea, I'd like to acknowledge as one of your best friends on the journey beforehand. Mm. And then you come to this experience and in the book it talks about the experience and please stop me if you would like me to stop you talk about how you're you're trapped in the water and it gets to this point where you can choose whether or not to let go and become part of the flow of water or you can choose to hold on and it was that an intuitive thing I mean you were in so much pain you were hardly able to catch your breath was that an intuitive decision That was such an important moment in my life and I reflect back on that often daily when I'm unsure about what I want to do or I don't feel clear, I'm looking for clarity. There was something greater than me that was with me at that point and you could call it in my intuition, my higher self, my soul, my spirit, whatever you want it to be. In that moment when I was pushed up against that log, by that, you know, between the boulder and the log. And that log was a very big log. I mean, it broke my ribs, damaged my pancreas. I'm now on an insulin pump. My pancreas doesn't work anymore. And, you know, I've lived a life now of 21 years as a a diabetic. And um, that moment was so incredibly significant. The water was rushing past me. It was lapping at my chin. And I could see up towards where the water was coming from. And I saw my friend's bodies floating over those rapids and I knew instantly that they were dead and that was a very 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 quick period of time you know it felt like hours but it was probably maybe 30 seconds and what happened was that my life I didn't I wasn't actually thinking about anything in particular but my life flashed in front of me like a series of snapshots and I talk about this in the book and I saw myself as a child being so badly bullied and I was horrifically bullied when I was really little, which I had kind of like forgotten. And I don't actually talk about that in the book and that I'm actually in my next book because I've nearly finished the sequel. I go back and talk about what actually happened when I was really little and being bullied in the playground and things. I came from a loving family, but at school was tough and primary school. And then and then I saw me at high school where I didn't feel like I belonged. And then I saw me in this horrific relationship with this man who treated me so badly and then I saw me in the moment the day before when I was up on that mountain seeing snow for the first time and it was the first time I finally accepted myself all of me all my faults all my gifts all of the mistakes I had made and I felt so liberated from accepting all of me and I didn't ever want to die having been that girl I didn't want to die having been that girl. I wanted to be the girl on the mountain. And I knew that that tribe that had surrounded me and loved me and accepted me, all of me, for me, I thought if I let go of tried to wiggle free from between the boulder and the log, that perhaps that was the life I wanted. That was the life I wanted. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to die having been that girl. And so 
I wiggled free. I didn't even really think about wiggling free. It kind of just automatically happened. When I was in the water, it was like it was like being in meditation. It's the best way I can describe it. There was no thoughts going through my mind. There was nothing except surrender, completely surrender, just relax and let go, knowing that the water was stronger than all of us. And I just tried to get snippets of air when I could. I didn't actually think of anything. I wasn't scared. I wasn't I wasn't doing anything other than just letting go. And that ability to surrender and let go in life is life-saving in a flood, but it's also life-saving in so many other aspects when we can just surrender and let go and trust. And that's, it's, I guess, is what part of being having a faith as well. That's amazing. That's so deep and touching. Thank you so much for sharing that. So coming out of the whole situation, adrenaline definitely kicked in for you as you got up to the bus. Um, you <laughs> so survived. Deep, oh my god! Like I can't imagine how you climbed up anywhere out of that whole situation. See, literally seeing your friends face down in the water, and then it was the trauma of realizing what had happened, and and also the misdiagnosis or no diagnosis of what was actually going on for you physically in your body. So they said it was just bruising. And Mm. then that whole situation, and thank God you had Kimberly and Cassandra there at the hotel and Mm. supporting you and protecting you. But coming out of that, you shut down, didn't you? Yep, totally. Yep. And total PTSD situation, post-traumatic stress disorder, And you came home to Australia and your parents and your family tried to nurture you and took over you. One day, I think, stood out for me in the book where there was a service in Canberra and it was seemed to me the first day you've actively participated in life after Mm. everything. Can you tell Mm. me about that day? Oh, no one ever asks me about this day. Thank you for this opportunity. That was a special day. I want to put it all into perspective for the listeners that don't remember this accident. This disaster was a global disaster. It was similar to the same global impact, not in terms of terrorism and what happened, but in terms of how much media attention there was on this accident. It was similar to 9-11, Bali bombings, that sort of thing. It was everywhere, front pages of the newspaper for months years even and it was you know all over the news it was on the morning tv it just was in replay over and over and over and over and you just could not get away from it there were helicopters circling our family farm i lived out in the out in the bush like how they found us i will never know and um they're very clever the media Mm. and this was before the internet as well really hit off this is 1999 so you know the internet's only just starting to make its way people got hotmail accounts and things like that so it wasn't you know, we didn't have smartphones in our pockets. This is 21 years ago. It feels like a very long time. <laughs> I had completely closed my life because I had no other way of dealing with it. I didn't have the tools, the resources, the techniques on what to do or how to deal with what I had been through. And I felt like how could anyone ever possibly understand what I had been through? And how could they? They couldn't. They hadn't been swept away in a raging flood. They hadn't been gasping for their life. They hadn't nearly drowned which I had they hadn't seen their friends die in front of them they couldn't they were in a position where they couldn't help them just like I was and I didn't want to put that burden on anybody either I didn't want anyone else to really understand just how horrific it was for me because I didn't want them to suffer either 
And this one particular day, and I got up, I actually got out of bed. So I'd been in bed for weeks on end, refusing to speak to anybody. And I was too sore as well. I had all these undiagnosed broken bones. I'd blown up like a balloon. My body looked like something out of a TV show, like one of those, um, you know, American cop dramas where they've got photos of the person who's been murdered and they've been beaten to death and they're black and blue and they are unrecognisable. I looked like that. Mm. And I was really just scared, I suppose, of really letting anybody in to know how bad and how deep my internal wounds were, both physically and mentally. I got up on this day. I don't know why I got up, probably my intuition telling me to get up. And I went into our family room, which was connected to the kitchen, big open plan family kitchen area. And I put on the tiny little TV. It was a tiny little box TV, which is pretty funny when I think about (laughs) the technology back then. It even had rabbit ear antennas. And I slumped down in the couch as tenderly as I could, turned on the morning news, and this service was on in Canberra. And my heart stopped because it was an opportunity to pay tribute to my friends. I couldn't be at the memorial service that was held in Switzerland at the time of the event and I had this longing to go. And so I called out to my mum, mum, what are you doing today? And she started prattling on all the things she was doing. And I said, (laughs) can you cancel them? We need to go to Canberra. And then she raced to my side and saw what was happening and then she calls that to my dad you know, to make, we've got to change the day. <laughs> I'm going to Canberra. <laughs> and so I quickly got up and we were about a four-hour drive from oh, Canberra. Gosh. yep. And it was early morning and so we just made it. We just made it. Wow. We got to Canberra. It was my mum and I. My mum drove me because I still couldn't drive. I mean, I could barely walk. And walking in, I can tell you there were media as far as the eye could see. There were like just thousands hundreds there would have been hundreds of people there and there was secret service you know federal cops and um all like the prime minister was there john howard was there this is how long ago i'm talking kim beasley was there he was the opposition leader at the time and it was all politicians at this church service to commemorate my friends wow and i walked in And you had to write to be able to be allowed into the church because people were flowing out everywhere. There was like, you couldn't see any clear road. It was like kind of go to Bondi Beach on a hot sunny day. And I walked in and the lady was there, you know, saying, well, who are you? And you have to, you know, tell us who you are to be allowed in. And my mum, you know, wrote her name and, and then it was my turn. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't say who I was. I was... I felt so much guilt for being alive. Oh, gosh. Even now, I really get really upset about that because there were parents there who'd lost loved ones and I just felt so bad for them that they'd lost their beautiful children mm. from no fault of anybody's. It just happened. It was a freak of nature. We shouldn't have been in the canyon at the time, but it was – I could see them crying and I just felt so incredibly terrible for being alive. I just felt so guilty for having survived. Mm. So when I had to write in the book who I was and then I wrote Survivor next to it and this woman looked at me and then she starts talking into her earpiece and within a second I had Secret Service surrounding me and ushering me into a, um, a place so that the media wouldn't get to me because 
there were just so many media there and it was so intimidating and terrifying and I didn't want to talk to anybody. And then they did the service and then at the end I really, really wanted to meet the Prime Minister. Like I just wanted to say thank you for honouring my friends and for acknowledging the tragedy that had happened. Um, but he, he ran off. But I did get the opportunity to speak to the opposition leader at the time and shook his hand and, you know, he talked to me and, and said, you know, I'm so sorry for what's happened to you and you're so lucky to be alive. And yet all I could think of was how wrong he was because mm. I really thought life would have been easier if I was dead. Totally. Can I just acknowledge that, that moment for you, just so intense and deeply personal that you've just relived and coming to the guilt. I know now you've turned that around and you're honouring your friends with the life you're leading now. So can we focus on what you are doing now in your life that's really allowed you to give to this world to your kids, your beautiful husband, I know you've got, to your dog that's not very patient, as I read in the book. I don't have patient dogs either. Um, So to come back to what you're giving now. So this book, Brave Enough Now, you know, you've come to the point where in the book you talk about your life is filled with gifts. You talk about the gratitude you have for people in your life. You talk about what is your purpose? I knew that I had was destined to do something more. Was this why I had been spared? I could see no other reason for it. I now needed to find what that was and make it happen. And you needed to listen to yourself and you needed to heal. So I feel that this book was part of your healing journey. Was that what it was for you and to recognize your friends and the ones that still survive with you? Yes, definitely. But it was even more than that. I When I first came home from Switzerland, I started writing my book and I just couldn't do it. It was so raw and so hard and I just pressed delete and never looked at it again. And then about four years ago, um, I'd come into a position where I was faced with another hurdle in my life and I I thought, I can't live the rest of my life not sharing what I know to be true I can't share I can't I can't share it just with my family and my friends I mean even then I hadn't really digged deep into how all of this had affected me they kind of knew on the surface but not the deep stuff I mean Cassandra did but and my husband did but even he found out things that I wrote in the book that he didn't know and I thought there comes a time in our life Well, you just can't stop ignoring what you need to do. There comes a point where you have this desire in you, this yearning in you, this sense of longing that you just can't ignore anymore. And so I started writing and I wrote I wrote two versions to start with. This is pretty funny. (laughs) I wrote the first version and I was like on the beach and I thought, okay, I'm going to. I'm going because I live by the beach. So I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk on the beach. I'm just going to talk into my phone. I'm going to record it. I'm going to go home and I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to type it up. And I came home and I did that. And I was like, oh, my God, cringe, delete. <laughs> <laughs> and then I did it again. I thought, right, this time I'll, I'm walking along the beach again. I'm like, I'm just going to start typing and see what happens because I really love the serenity and I just felt like I was alone and I could just get with my thoughts. And I came home and I read it again. I was like, this is so bad. I'm not a writer. I'm a visual artist. I'm not a writer. 
And I delete and I sat on the bench in our kitchen bench and I looked at my husband and I said, I just don't think I can do it. Because I'd said to him, I think it's time to write my story and I'd explained all the reasons why. And he said, okay, go for it, do it. This incredibly supportive, wonderful man in my life. And I'm sitting there and he said, just stay there for a minute and take a big deep breath. He pours me a glass of red wine and he's like, just write it for you. Just write it as if no one else is ever going to read it and write it as if it's your journal. Just write. And I was like, okay. And so that's what I did. And then it just came out and it just flowed and it was a beautiful process and it was very cathartic in many ways. And there were things that I thought that I dealt with that I hadn't dealt with, things like when I was in hospital and I called home and I told my parents that I was in hospital in Switzerland and there'd been a big accident and then I had to hang up. Like they didn't know where I was. They had no idea. (laughs) I think as a parent now, oh, my God, if my child called me and said, I'm on the other side of the world, I'm in hospital in a country somewhere and I'm wounded, and that, that was it. Talk about panic. Total panic. Total panic. And so for that, I just couldn't stop crying when I was writing that passage. And I called my dad and I was like, Dad, no, I'm so sorry. And he was like, Possum, it's okay, because he still calls me Possum. <laughs> and he said it was pretty tough. He said, I'll never forget that phone call. For the, as long as I live, I will never forget that phone call. And so it was definitely cathartic, but it also felt incredibly important that our story not be forgotten. And I wrote the book from my own point of view and my own story because it's my story and it's also many others' story, but their story will all be different to mine and all of our experiences and interpretations and memory of what happened will all be different. And so I didn't ever want to take away someone else's story, even though that is also our story It's our own individual stories. And I think that's really important in terms of the message in having a story. Everyone says, you know, you've got a story to tell. and All of our stories are important and of value. And the biggest lessons that I learned was how precious life is. Mm. I mean, how lucky am I today to wake up? So lucky. And I felt like I needed to live this big life for my friends. I needed to do everything that I possibly could to make it a wonderful life. I had to have an amazing wedding because I didn't get to have a wedding. I had to have kids so that I could have the kids that they couldn't have. And I had to be all in on mum because they couldn't be a mum. And I had to like live this big life, you know, like really suck the marrow out of it. But what I actually learned through all of that, all of that life experience is that you have to live your life for you. And that your story, your own personal story is what makes the biggest difference and that when you believe in who you really are and you listen to your intuition and you listen to that inner being within yourself that guides you, to send you on the right path, that's when the magic happens and that is when our lives are full and rich and wonderful. It's in the hard moments. It's when we face our fears. It's in the bravery of waking up in the morning and facing that new day. And every single one of us has to do that with the blessing of a day. And so that's what I do now. I have the founder of When We Are Brave, which is my business that I've started. 
I have a beautiful essential oil range that helps people to feel brave and it's got meditations and affirmation cards. I've got my journal coming out soon, which is called Discovering Your Brave. Uh, and that's all I've got a beautiful guided journal to help people to feel brave in their life and face their fears, work through goal setting, um, affirmations. It's beautiful inspirational art coming soon as well, which helps people to feel brave in their life and feel empowered. So I want people to know and hear my story and hear my message that you can do it. You can actually be brave enough. You are enough. You are of value and you do have a purpose on this earth. And I've got my Festival of Brave coming up as well, which is super exciting. It's an online virtual summit. So I'm falling into this wonderful world. The book has given me an opportunity to have that story heard, have that memory of the disaster people will know and remember and understand what happened on that day and particularly from my point of view but um, but it also talks about others who were on the journey as well and I do say that it is my own point of view because we all have our own stories but writing Brave Enough Now was opening up a massive can of worms and we get really scared about really tapping into who we are and what are people going to think? What are people going to say? I was terrified of what people would say when they knew that I was writing a book. And so I even went and, and made sure that I connected with people from my bus tour. I tried to connect with other people from the other bus tour that were involved, but it was very difficult to do. And so I did my best as I could with that and just let them know that, hey, you know, I'm going to write my story. And last year I had the privilege of going back to Switzerland I hadn't been back in 20 years mm. and it was the 20th anniversary memorial event. It was a huge big international memorial event. And at the site of the Saxon Bar Porch, there is a beautiful memorial site that is for the Swiss Canyoning disaster. And it has photos of all the people that were lost. It was filled with politicians, former parliamentarians from all across the globe that came on that day. And it also had survivors there. It also had family members who'd lost loved ones. And every single one of those families came up to me and said, thank you so much, because now our brother, our sister, our cousin, our son, our daughter, is never going to be forgotten. And that was so incredibly humbling, and I felt so blessed to have been able to do that for them. You are recognised as someone that's given life to their lives after they were lost. Such an honour to speak to you today. I wanted to mention one person. Now, Cassandra, in the book, Cassandra is this wonderful human being that pops her head over the back of a bus chair and you guys don't stop talking and it's all like wonderful and you have such a deep connection. And Cassandra couldn't go on the journey because she'd hurt her leg prior and she was the one that was there for you to support you afterwards. And you still have contact with her, don't you? Yes, I spoke to her five minutes before this interview. (laughs) Fantastic. So she is someone that I would like to acknowledge too for you on your journey and for me reading the book as someone that brought light in you, that showed you who you were as a human being prior and after and thankful for her in supporting you on your journey. So we get you in this way in your book, in the podcast you do and in your shared experience. So that's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kylie. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. No, thank you. And now I love quotes, obsessed with quotes. So do you have a quote that you'd like to read to us today? I do. I have. I actually have two. Would that be okay? Of course. 
Okay, so the first one is, and I say this when I do a lot of podcasts and speaking and um, it's part of my message, is that when you believe in yourself, magic comes your way and it spreads like wildfire for others to join in. And I just, I just love that. But I just wanted to read, thank you, I just want to read a little bit from the last bit of my book because I thought that this is really relevant to healing and I know that a lot of people will think, oh, wow, she survived this incredible disaster and oh, I could never go through that. But I just want people to know that you don't have to have gone through something as horrific as I did. I would never want anyone to go through anything like that. It's about acknowledging life all parts of life trauma is trauma is trauma you might have been picked on as a kid you might have had a car accident you might have a loved one who's really incredibly unwell it doesn't matter what situation you are in it's still the acknowledgement of you going through stuff and at the moment with COVID and all the different aspects that are combined in that it's really important for people to understand that they are of value and that they can be brave to live this life So I'm just going to read this passage. It has reminded me to live without hesitation and to make the most out of every day and enjoy all the moments, the hard, the good, the beautiful. That's what life is, beautiful through all its dark and light. My friends and family are treasured. I hold them close to my heart at all times. I have lived a full and wondrous life, a normal life, an ordinary life a life that I have worked hard to make fabulous through listening to others, taking on board their concerns and making the changes necessary to live my truth with love and appreciation of all things, including life itself. I have never once forgotten my friends from that journey and nor will I ever. That journey shaped me in ways I could never have foreseen. For years after, all I ever wanted to do was to live life to the fullest, to continue on my path living the biggest and the best way that I could, doing it for myself, but also doing it for those that were lost. Now I have come to know that I no longer need to live my life as if I am living it for those who died. I need to live it just for myself, for all of me, for all the broken parts of me, for all the fixed parts of me, for the me that I am, the me that is whole, a me that I found while finding my way through winding roads with all of them leading home. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. I actually highlighted that part of the book too. So massive learning, understanding and gift you're giving this world for yourself and from the others. Thank you so much for your time, Tiffany. It is so much appreciated. Oh, it's my pleasure, Kylie, anytime. Thank you so much. We've been speaking to Tiffany Johnson, amazing survivor, her journey, her life, and now her gift to this world. You're on Good Health Radio with Kylie Roger and we will be back after this break.